1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel.
0: Real love is
2: calling, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. But don't despise those seasons of your life where God is molding and shaping you and where you're drawing near to Him. and Sometimes maybe the mundane times of life. Those are the times when you can draw near to Him and just spend time with Him and contemplate the goodness of the Lord and see His handiwork and not just creation, but in your own life. Begin to notice the way that God is at work in everyday, regular ways and draw closer to Him. David was
1: heavily shaped by his time tending the sheep as a boy. This was a mundane and lesser than type of work. It was rigorous and exposed with predators to fend off and stubborn animals in your care. It wasn't something you aspired to. But as Pastor Gary will point out in today's message, God used this time in David's life for great good. It established work ethic, bravery, endurance, as well as a strong connection to God who formed the hills and valleys he herded his sheep through. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, with today's edition
2: of Cornerstone Connection. Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now, I mentioned this word last week because the word regret is back up in verse 10, where it says that the Lord regretted that he ever made Saul king. King of Israel. And you might say, well, I thought, Pastor G, you just said a minute ago that God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. It's, as I said last week, it's an anthropomorphism. It's a word that is found in our Bibles where sometimes God uses human kinds of language to express his heart, that he's grieved over what Saul has done, but he doesn't... Uh, regret in the way that we have regrets because we make bad decisions. This is a term that he's helping us to identify his heart, that he's grieved over all of this that is happening here. I mean, you know, look, he, he selected Saul. He wanted the best for Saul, and God knows all things, so God in the end knew beforehand that Saul would reject him. But nevertheless, God's heart is for his people, and he doesn't want any to perish. And Saul is going to reap his, the consequences for his own choice. But now we get to a more uplifting chapter. Are you ready for a little more uplifting chapter? Chapter 16. Because now we're going to shift to the third main character who's going to dominate the rest of this book and really, in many ways, the rest of the entire Bible. As I mentioned at the beginning of the study of 1 Samuel, in a, Jewish, in a Hebrew Bible, First and 2 Samuel are one book. And... The three main characters of the book of Samuel that we have separated into two books, first and second Samuel, are Samuel the prophet, Saul the first king, and now David. And so he becomes now the main character. We're going to, we're not done with Saul, but we're going to see him dominate the rest of the book and really the rest of the Bible. So chapter 16 says, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. All right. So Saul's not dead when God says, how long are you going to mourn? It's just Samuel is grieved over the fact that God has rejected Saul. And this is a uh, this is a mark on the nation of Israel. So so God's like, you know, how long are you going to keep grieving? I've chosen someone for my name as king. And I want you to take your horn and anoint him. Now, the horn that is a reference here is in those days, prophets and priests would carry oil in a hollowed out horn. So this is either the horn of a bull or the horn of an oxen. And they would be able to uh, seal both ends of it. And so on the inside was anointing oil. It was olive oil. And it was traditional in the Old Testament scriptures that kings and uh, before them Priest would be anointed with oil. And it was just symbolic of the outpouring of God's Spirit to consecrate this individual for God's purpose. And so God says to Samuel, You don't know who the guy is, but I've chosen another king to replace Saul. He's one of the sons of Jesse. Now, Jesse in Hebrew is Yeshai. There is no letter J in the Hebrew alphabet. So it's spelled with a Y, and Yeshai is how you would say his name. And uh and he has several sons. God says to Samuel, just go to Bethlehem where Jesse lives and I'll show you which son of Jesse's you are to choose. And Samuel said in verse two, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. And and so he he goes. Now, Ramah is where Samuel is, and Bethlehem is about 10 miles to the south. So it's not too long of a journey. He's going to go 10 miles. Verse 4, so Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. In Hebrew, Bethlehem. You've heard me say it many times. What does that mean? House of bread. Bethlehem was known as a place that grew a lot of wheat. The wheat was um, used to produce bread, so that was the name of the town. Bethlehem, house of bread. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? <laughs> Why do you suppose that the elders of Bethlehem were worried when Samuel showed up? Because word on the street was this guy chopped up a gag. OK, so we see him coming into our town like who's he coming to chop up? You know, they're probably honestly concerned about that. And he says in verse 5, he said, peaceably, I come in peace, shalom, everything's going to be all right. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord, sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab. Okay, now here's what's going to happen. Jesse's going to parade all of his sons in front of Samuel. And Samuel starts with the oldest guy and his name is Eliab. Eliab in Hebrew means God is father, from El and Abba. God is father, Eliab. That's the name of the boy. And Samuel said, surely the Lord's, the Lord's anointed is before him. Right? So he's thinking this guy is probably tall, dark and handsome. He looks the role of a king. Cuz that's the way Saul was. Saul the Bible says specifically was tall, dark and handsome. And so Samuel, I mean, you know, he's got feet of clay. He's like, he's not always, we don't always like walk and operate in the spirit. So it would be wonderful if Samuel had been like, well, you know, I already know the rest of the verse and uh, God is more concerned about the heart than the outward appearance. So I'm not going to judge before I know exactly what's going on here. Don't ever judge a book by its cover. No, he just looks at Eliab and he goes, you know, this is a fine looking guy. He could probably be the next king. Well, no, not Eliab. Verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his, or at his physical stature because I have refused him for the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now circle that because that's going to play into who actually gets chosen. But that's, that's the right perspective. That's the right perspective for anybody. And so verse eight, so Jesse called Abinadab. Now, That's the son number two. Abinadab translates in Hebrew, father is generous. Father from Abinadab. Father is generous. That's what his name means, which is kind of, I chuckle because he's like, you know what we ought to name this boy? He's got a generous dad. That's what we ought to name. Him. Father is generous. So anyway, he gets the name Abinadab. And he made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by. Now, Shema, sadly, translates desolation or waste. So not a good day on the birth of that child. You know what? We could have done better. What a waste. Let's call him that. And so Shema passes by, and he said, Samuel, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. So like Samuel's using discernment, like the, the Holy Spirit is speaking to him and saying, no, 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 no. Seven sons, and he keeps getting a no answer. And Samuel said to Jesse, verse 11, Are all the young men here? And then he, Jesse, said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. Now that's a very sad verse, isn't it? What does it tell us? Jesse did not think enough about young David to bring him into the house to be part of the lineup. Jesse has eight sons. David is the eighth and the youngest. And for whatever reason, Jesse decided that the little boy, number eight, keeping the flocks out in the fields is not worth coming in for the lineup. Now, it gives us a little insight into David's family life because lest you think I'm being a little too harsh to make the point that Jesse was not a very good dad if you're going to exclude one of your sons from this moment, David himself would later write in adulthood, in Psalm 27 verse 10 Though my father and mother forsake me the Lord will receive me Psalm 27:10 Though my father and mother forsake me the Lord will receive me He wrote about how he was not really accepted in his own family and despite the fact that for whatever reason we don't have any insight as to what the dynamics were in that family but we have enough between this scene and Psalm 27:10 To draw some pretty clear conclusions. That for whatever reason that David felt rejected or not accepted by his parents in particular, he says, But God will never reject me. God receives me. And that that's a special reminder to, to any of you who have felt like your family growing up wasn't the best family, or maybe you were rejected, maybe you were abandoned maybe literally abandoned, physically abandoned, emotionally abandoned, or something, you know the good news is? You have no control over that, but you have a God in heaven who receives you. Though anybody else might reject you, forsake you, discard you, the Lord in heaven receives you. This will end up being David's story here. And so Jesse says, yeah, yeah, I got got number eight. He's out in the field keeping watch over the flock, the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, there are Continuing in verse 11, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. He said, we're going to just sit, we're going to stand right here, and we're going to remain right as we are until, until you go get him. Now, it is believed, as I said a moment ago, that David is somewhere at this point between the ages of 10 to 15, most Bible scholars say he's probably in the, in the range of 10 to 15, and the predominant view is that he's at the younger end and so i lean more towards when you look at the different timeline of events that so he's probably only about 10 years old here now i want you to consider this cuz i cuz i got another point here from this will be point number 1 from chapter 16 okay if he's say around age 10 we do know from scripture that he does not become king until he's age 30 all right now he's going to get anointed here in just a moment but he doesn't actually step into the role of being king for another at least 20 years. And so point number one from chapter 16 is God is working in the waiting. God is working in the waiting. Even, even when God does something for you, it may not be the completion of it for many years to come. He might have put this thing in your heart that may not come to pass for years. The problem is that because we are, especially in our society today, so, um, uh, so used to things being immediate, right? And we get impatient if they aren't. It, it's so contrary to the way that we're conditioned these days to wait upon the Lord. Because we think, well, you know, surely if God showed me something or or whispered this promise to me, it's it's going to happen tomorrow, right? At the very at the very least, next week, and and yet maybe God is thinking ten years down the road, right? I mean, when when Paul, who was Saul at the time, when he had his conversion experience, you know how many years it was until he preached his first message of 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 Christ and and got his first convert before he went into the ministry? It was ten years. Ten years. We we look when we're reading through the book of Acts and we think, oh, oh, Paul got saved. And then, oh, now he's leading people to Jesus like it happened the next week. It was 10 years later when God called Moses to deliver the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt. It was 40 years while God was working on Moses and training him and preparing him to do the work that he had called him to do. And God's going to take another 20 years to shape David. And to make him into a man that is most useful as a king. So this is is just the beginning point. But there's going to be years here where David is sort of in waiting. And so I wanted to share. We have just um, not very much time left. But I want to just read down through verse 14. Just a couple more verses. Read down through verse 13. And then I just want to share a few things about David before we leave tonight to just kind of give you kind of a foundational understanding of a little bit about who he is. And as we're heading in now to a predominant figure in the rest of the Bible. So let's keep reading first. Here's a physical description of him. So so Samuel uh, said to Jesse, send him and bring him for we will not sit down till he comes. Verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. You know, look, this is a common theme, friends. Saul was good-looking. David is good-looking. People that God calls him. Anyway, and so here, here's the thing. But he was ruddy and bright eyes. Interesting. Ruddy it, it means there was redness about him. So it is thought that he either had red hair, or when you go to Israel, uh, the group that's going with me next month, you will notice that it's kind of an anomaly, but they, but they do have Jews who have this beautiful auburn-colored hair. And uh, most obviously are, are uh, more dark complected and black hair. But there are some who have natural auburn hair. And here's the other part. Bright eyes is really a description of blue eyes. So David was probably not like your typical Israeli looking guy. The DNA that, you know, shaped his appearance was they probably had auburn hair or red hair, blue eyes and good-looking, and the Lord said, arise, says this to Samuel, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward, and so Samuel arose, and he went back home to Ramah. Okay, before we go, a couple of things about David, all right, for you note-takers. David his name in Hebrew David is how you pronounce it David David in Hebrew means beloved beloved There's only one David in all of the Bible Most other Hebrew names you can find some other person in the Bible who had that same name But there's only one David in the entire Bible and from this point on Much of the Bible is devoted to this man. I want you to see this. I put it all together so we can appreciate. The royal line of Israel will be known as the house of David. Jerusalem will be known as the city of David because that's where he reigned. Bethlehem will be known as the town of David because that's where he was born. Most of the Psalms he wrote, and so they are most of them known as the Psalms of David. And Messiah, Jesus, is known as the son of David, since David is the progenitor in the line to the Messiah. In fact, one of the last things that Jesus says recorded in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 16, refers to David. Revelation 22, 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So he dominates Scripture here. And a few other things to note about him, and then we'll, we'll pick up with more of this uh, next week. But David's life is basically divided into four phases. Number one, the shepherding years. Number two, the hiding years, when he was on the run from Saul, because Saul was trying to kill him. We're going to see that dynamic as we continue in our study of 1 Samuel and into 2 Samuel. Uh, number three, the fighting years, when he was a warrior. And number four, the reigning years as king. Now, and just I just have like three minutes left, so I just want to focus just really quickly on a little bit about the shepherding years. And why is this important? Because th- these are the years he he's in right now. Where did they get David? Out of the fields of Bethlehem, he was tending sheep for his father. His shepherding years taught him much about God. The the devotion in David's heart grew for God during the period of his shepherding years. And, And how so? Those became contemplative years for David. When he was out tending sheep, he began to see God in the everyday ways of life. And there he is, you know, shepherding at times could obviously be a very lonely thing. You're out on the backside of some field and it's just you and the sheep and your staff and you're and you're trying to protect them and you're making sure they're well fed and watered and all this stuff. And and you're 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 herding them up and and moving them to other pastures to graze and all this kind of stuff. And you have a lot of time to just contemplate. You're out there by yourself. You know, there's no iPhone. You're not, you know, you're not doing this. Uh, and so you're just out there. It's just you and God and the sheep. And as a shepherd, you see, For example, David knew that sheep were frightened when a storm would arise or when a lion would attack. And so he would lead them to safety among the rocks and the caves of the hillside. And he knew that God was a similar refuge for him. And so David would write in Psalm 61, 2 and 3, I call as my heart grows faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. And as a shepherd, he would make his bed in the open field, and at night he would gaze up into the black sky, and he would see all the dazzling constellations and the stars. And he would write in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. And he had these moments in these contemplative years where he was just out uh, tending the sheep and it was drawing him closer to the Lord. His whole way of life became consumed with the understanding of sheep and shepherd. And he translated this in his walk with the Lord. Psalm 23, perfect example. He wrote that whole thing because he understood that just as he's tending these sheep, so is God watching over me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are all those shepherding years where this contemplative time with God, he's drawing closer to the Lord. And what is God doing during this period of his life? He's fashioning David into a king. And he's using those shepherding years to draw him closer to the Lord, to make him and fashion him into the man that God has called him to be to ultimately lead the nation of Israel. And why was he focused on David so much? Because of what Samuel said back up in verse 7 of chapter 16, that God is looking not at the outward appearance, but he's looking on the heart. And David had a heart for God. And those years that he spent tending sheep and walking the fields and looking up at the night sky and taking refuge in the caves and the rocks, fighting the lions and the bears that would try to ravage the flock, David was all the time growing closer to the Lord, developing a heart after his heavenly shepherd. Look, don't despise those seasons of your life where God is molding and shaping you and where you're drawing near to him and sometimes maybe the mundane times of life. Those are the times when you can draw near to him and just spend time with him and contemplate the goodness of the Lord and see his handiwork and not just creation, but in your own life. Begin to notice the way that God is at work in everyday, regular ways and draw closer to Him. Because during those seasons is when He shapes us and molds us and prepares us us for a greater purpose in Him.
1: That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from 1 Samuel again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources, These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today, so put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in 1 Samuel and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection.
2: They say you're a wandering soul